another episode of the Future Positive Podcast, powered by Capitalize. I'm your host, Phil Hobden, Head of Customer Education and Engagement at Capitalize. And as always, I'm joined by Kirsty McGregor, founder of the Corporate Finance Network and Capitalize's very own accountant in residence. Hey, Kirsty, how are you? Hi, Phil. Oh, I'm very good. It's um, been a very, very busy few weeks. Oh, it's, it's, it's just crazy, right? Like... Like totally as, in it now, aren't we? Yeah. As we record this, we're heading into um, event season, which is always my favourite season of the year. Um, like there's events in towards the end of April, then we've got Countex in May, Digital Accountancy Show in June. And of course, we interviewed um, Dan about that a uh, couple of weeks ago, and then like uh, we've got ZeroCon in July, and then then we get to take the summer off, which is nice. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm super excited, right? So like probably one of the best times of the year. This. All good, all busy. Yeah, I feel like things are really productive at the moment. So that's yeah, uh, well, that's nice. Happy well, play. We've got a great guest today, someone that I've known for um, quite a while. Um, I don't know whether that says that I've been around a bit too long or, or he has, but you know, either way, right? But um, so our guest this episode is David Tuck. David is an entrepreneur, a consultant, and has been working in the accounting tech industry for almost 10 years, but kind of in the finance industry for even longer than that. In 2013, he founded Chaser, and since then has continued to drive new innovations and improve ways, work, ways of working for accountants and their small business clients in the UK and beyond, directly and as well by consulting with businesses such as Reducer, World First, Comma and Zero. This year, and in fact this month, David will be launching his latest venture, Mayday, which offers a better way for startups and small businesses to get the transfer pricing help they need. Oh, that was a that was a weighty intro. So look, hey David, welcome to the podcast. Hi Phil. Hi Kirsty. Thanks very much for having me. That's our pleasure. And like I said, we we go back um we go back a while, right? So like I think probably since I've been in been in this industry for about five years now. I think you know I remember kind of walking into my first event and you guys were there and it was just like whoa, what's this? They've got beer and stuff. So it's like. <laughs> So you kind of open my eyes to things. So uh, look, it's great to have you on, and obviously great to talk about kind of your new um, your new venture and, and everything else in between. So Kirsty, what are we going to be talking to David about this episode? Well, Phil, I think you've set the scene well, and um, I, I described David's CV as one that Alan Sugar would be proud of. I think looking through all the businesses involved with now, it's um, it's really exciting. So I want to talk about that a little bit. But if we go back in time first. Um, you qualified with Deloitte. It's a little bit like this is your life, this as well. So you qualified with Deloitte and then you went into industry with Beaver Tree, which was at the time a startup and now, of course, very well-known business, especially if you're a G&T drinker. Um, and then you've worked with various SaaS companies and then founded um, Chaser yourself in 2013. So what I'd like to know is, was there a particular moment that you had this brainwave about Chaser? I mean, what what led you into this world of being a vendor and the, the app space and so on? What happened? Sure. So, uh, so it's a great question. And so I'm I'm kind of what about 15 years into into my career now. Um, but I've always sort of lived and, and breathed and dreamed of of entrepreneurship. My 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 first business was actually um, age six, uh, going kind of door to door uh, in our cul de sac, selling selling pine cones. 
that I'd collected uh, for for twenty p. So my my love of high margin, high gross margin businesses uh, started there. So so SaaS and technology was was perhaps I didn't know it at that time, but the inevitable um, place for me to to end up. And then. Yeah, I mean, I, I did the Deloitte grad scheme out of um, out of uni, which was great getting that kind of foundation. I love the, the kind of technical side of, um, of accounting. I, I probably, you know, stayed in practice a couple of years longer than, than I should have done. Um, I, I did the CTA qualification as well, which was which was great. Um, but but, you know, at, at that point, I sort of, you know, got to a, a juncture in my career and then looked out and realized, well, well what do I want to achieve in future? Went and did uh, the sort of succession of startup um, and SME finance roles, as you say, starting with uh, starting with Fevertree, and I, I still like to say that um, you know, had it not been for my Excel models as the first qualified accountant, um, then you know, no no one would have heard of Fevertree today. How much how much truth there is to to that statement, we we won't go into. Um, if uh, if that's okay, and um, yeah, and then I, I, my first move into tech was with a company called Wayne, uh, which stood for Where Are You Now. Uh, so that was my first. Uh, kind of proper sort of tech startup and worked for some great founders there who who opened my eyes, opened doors to the London tech ecosystem. And it's sort of, I think I went past a tipping point one day of, you know, I can do this. I'd conceptually, you know, with Deloitte, but also with Fevertree and Wayne as businesses that sold their goods and services on payment terms, you know, had this sense that there must be a better way to go about kind of accounts receivable, credit control, selling on payment terms. And starting to use zero at Wayne as I did for the first time. And that was my entry point into cloud accounting and um, and APIs and this idea of an app ecosystem, working for some great founders. Uh, you know, I did an intro to computer science course on Udacity and it, it just all came together right place, right time. I mean, I was, um, you know, so this was sort of, uh, what would it have been early 2013? You know, I was, um, I was kind of, you know, 28, 29 at, at the time, you know, I was getting married the next year and it's kind of, well, you know, this is the perfect moment. I can see something that can be built. And if I, if I don't do it now, when, when am I going to be doing it? So it's, you know, I, I, I would really kind of poo poo, you know, the idea of a kind of light bulb moment in any event. I don't, I don't think that's what happens. I think it's, a, it's a sort of gradual accretion that builds up and builds up and, you know, it's a sort of, you, you realize this is, this is in you as something that, um, that, that you want to kind of do and, and feel an inspiration about. And, and, you know, if you're lucky enough, the, the circumstances and the people around you facilitate um, being able to go out and, and, and make that happen. The stars kind of align, don't they? And things just fall into place over different careers, different contacts you've made, and, and all of a sudden there you are. So, um, so that's that's brilliant to understand. And there's we're quite unique, David, you and I, in that we're both um, qualified accountants in practice and now working in the SaaS fintech space as part of what we do. And um, most the, most of the, the teams that, that I've found work in fintech are not accountants and really struggle to understand the, the mentality of accountants and the way accountants in practice operate and the role that they have to play and and the amount of you know sheer work that they have to do and, and all the different uh, pulls on their time. So you worked as certainly as chaser for you know seven years with accountants in practice. What what are your key learnings from that time about accountants, the way that they've developed or not developed, and the way that they've they've uh, you know the, the profession is changing. So it's a great question and and. 
you know, off the back of kind of leaving Chaser in, in 2020 and the consulting work that I've been um, been doing, it's, you know, it's been a great opportunity to condense those insights and channel those insights into the consulting work that I've been doing with, um, you know, with businesses looking to partner with accountants as a, um, as a channel to market. And it's really interesting. I, I, I read um, uh, Think and Grow Rich by, by Napoleon Hill um, kind of recently. And there's a, there's a quote in that about um, Hollywood and how Hollywood acknowledges talent, recognizes genius and, and pays off in money only after one has refused to quit. And, and I think you can apply a similar principle to accountants and bookkeepers as, as kind of people to work with. They, they acknowledge a great product. They require a great product. Um, but that's kind of table stakes. They they recognize a great whole of product experience. And I think that's something that people really miss. It's not, you know, a great product is table stakes that, that accountants can really see the benefit of, but they recognize a, a great whole of product experience that the product plus the team, the support, the relationships, you know, are so much more important for, you know, they're important in any business, right? It's a truism to say, you know, people want kind of great support and account management. But I think it's so much more important with accountants because of that end client relationship, which is something I think think people really misunderstand of, okay, this is a this is a software product that I am I'm going to expose my clients to in some shape or form. And therefore, you know, it's so, so important that figuratively speaking, I can kind of look into the whites of the eyes of the people that I'm going to be dealing with and trust. You know that that trust is so amplified compared to where I'm pre- using a product directly for me, because you know I've got clients who trust in me, and therefore you know it, it's such a kind of such a bar for me to then you know introduce you in in a kind of um, you know meta sense as a product to to my clients, um, and then that you know that payoff only when you've showed you're in it in it for the long haul. You know I think that's the thing that that people often um get wrong with accountants is that they come in with a sort of quick win mentality of okay great we're just going to sort of you know throw a lot of money at it and i've seen you know so many instances of this over the years that what i kind of call the you know the the tail of the latest you know really deep pocketed fintech with unrealistic ambition massively unrealistic ambitions about how quickly they're going to um, grow through the accounting channel they throw loads of money getting the biggest stand at a zero con or an accountex you know really kind of lavish perks but then they have just dramatically unrealistic expectations of how about how quickly they're going to see a return on the accounting channel and then six months down the line they've mothballed their accounting program and you know, as a result, those who who kind of were early adopters have have got burned because they've you know back to that point about the whole the product experience, they've they've introduced that solution to their clients, and now the support for the accountants program is is not there. And I think people have been you know that's a precedent that's pretty well established now. And so that kind of you show you're in it for the long haul, you don't you know it's kind of the whole like you know nine women can't have a baby in a month. It's, you know, it takes its time. You've got to, you know, be realistic about the kind of gestation period for, um, you know, working with accountants as a channel to market. And I think, you know, that that's kind of a big learning of it's an amazing channel to market if you understand it fully and you're willing to kind of bet properly in terms of, yes, the cost and time it takes to, to kind of, you know, do the work required, both from a product perspective and product experience. But you also have the patience to, to kind of see it through, which, um, you know, which which so many don't. And I think um, one thing, you know, one other kind of thing I've identified is that 
it's still so early in terms of kind of technology when it comes to accountants for their clients. I think it's really easy to get carried away in the bubble of social media and accounting technology events and forget that this is a self-selecting sample of, you know, very, very sort of innovative minded practitioners that is not necessarily representative of the broader populace. It, it will be in due course, but but innovation you know, takes its time. And that's back to the point of being in it for the long haul. Yeah, completely. And I think if we do look back and it's frustrating for those in fintech and it's frustrating for those accountants who are early adopters that they don't understand why the rest of the profession has not jumped on the bandwagon quicker. Um, But I think we have come a long way compared to five, six, seven years ago when... um, in accounting space, that's a short period of time for them, isn't it? You know, and, and what is it they say about fintechs and software companies? Uh, a week in a fintech is a year in any other business or something. You know, they move so fast that accountancy is not that type of industry, but accountants are nothing if they're not loyal. So once they have got that trust, as you've said, in the whole product and the whole experience, and they're willing to expose themselves, so that was a great term, expose themselves to um, to put, put this in front of a client that they may have had for 15 or 20 years a relationship, then they will stick with it eventually, you know, but it, it definitely, there is a very high bar, I agree. And rightly so, it's just the profession, you know, but I think we really have moved on. Um, Phil, go on, you wanted to jump in. Yeah, no, I, I love that point. I think that's so interesting. And I, David, I also love the fact you, you called out like that social media event bubble, because I think that's, it's really interesting, right? Like what you see at ZeroCon isn't necessarily representative of what you see or what the industry is actually like. I guess, and I, sorry, Kirsty, I hope this doesn't jump on your question, your next question, but I guess for me, like I'm really interested by how you, how you, how you avoid those pitfalls, right? So how you design, because I've been, I've been following your blog and I've been following like your journey launching Mayday and it's fascinating actually. I, I recommend anyone out there and it's like, so how do you how do you go about finding that need, finding what what someone wants, and kind of bringing it to market? But from an accountant's perspective, right, and not from a fintech perspective, because for me that's the biggest mistake I see. Love your point about the money, by the way, that's so true. But the other mistake I see, and you can probably relate to this one as well, is a product person who doesn't necessarily have the experience designing something that they think is going to work, but without actually understanding the industry and how that's going to land and you see that a lot in this space so how do you avoid all of those pitfalls and actually find that find that hole that maybe the accountants don't realize that they have and then go ahead and solve it and i know that's not an easy question right no and it's it's a great question right because so i have this model that i call aiu um, for how accountants will work with um, a, a kind of tech solution in respect to their clients. And the AIU stands for awareness, introduce and, and use. Um, and so awareness is the kind of, you know, a client comes and asks for, okay, I need some new funding for my business. Have you got a, a kind of a great recommendation of how I can address that need, you know, capitalize? You know, from a chaser perspective, it was, okay, I'm having real trouble with my kind of, you know, debt days. I just don't have time to chase up my customers. Is is there a better way? Um, and the accountant in that situation wants and needs to be able to answer that question. They don't want silence 
because that silence and that tumbleweed is a is then a concern of hang on if i can't answer this question is there another accountant that could answer my client's question and am i then vulnerable to not delivering on this client relationship the problem with awareness is that it's difficult to drive it from your perspective it's controlled by how frequently the client comes and asks and so i have this idea of the um like the reactive road to working with accountants you know yes lock up the awareness convince them that you're the best product for you know for solving that problem and then you'll get the kind of reactive response to clients when they come and ask about that specific need and it's about you educating the accountant of okay we're the best at solving this type of need for this um type of client the problem that comes with that and and again i kind of have this idea of what i call the seven client itch um and the seven is just an arbitrary number because it's catchy and it's memorable and it, it it's kind of play on the film title there's no science behind the seven but it's this principle that if you're the best solution for what you do you'll pick up seven clients from a particular accountant because those will be the come the ones who come and ask but then beyond that seven there's not anything you can meaningfully do to kind of drive growth through accountants as a channel because it's a dependent upon clients coming and asking in the first place the i in aiu is introduced so it's almost the inverse of the awareness of how do you get the accountant going out and proactively talking about your solution to their clients and i that's the really really kind of difficult one because if you think about it from the incentives perspective when it comes to the accountant the awareness they don't want the tumbleweed of not being able to answer that question when it comes to introduce the risk is all on them making that recommendation being seen to like sell in inverted commas that solution onto the client and and that solution they're not working out for them so introduce you know we won't go into it on this podcast because it, you know, it'd be too big a discussion but i think it's you know it's the most challenging one there's stuff that you can do but it's it's a really really kind of challenging one because of the incentives from the accountant's perspective the you is then use how can you underpin that a service that that they offer or want to offer to their clients um you know so from a, a kind of you know dex receipt bank is the original one for this perspective okay you want to provide weekly monthly bookkeeping to clients great, I can now provide it much more efficiently and effectively by, um, by using Dext within the business. Um, I think when I look at my experience, what I advise others with the consulting work um, that I do and, and what I've kind of channeled into, into Mayday is you just want to say so, when it comes to the use side of things, you want to say as few degrees of separation from exactly what they're, you know, what accountants are doing today as possible. Um, so you want to, you know, a better way of doing what they are already doing today. The, you know, the more new behaviours you introduce of, okay, you need to start, you know, reorganising your team, training your team to deliver this new service to clients, marketing this service to clients. You know, you can probably get there over time, but it's going to take kind of a long time. You know, because that's a massive sort of organisational shift for the accountant. Whereas if you can provide them with something which subs in and improve something that they are already doing for you know a base of their clients as close to 100% of their clients as possible but if not you know if you can't get to 100% because clearly you know those are the sort of the dream opportunities so a lot of those are already going to be taken you get as close to 100% as possible and then in time that gives you the ability to start helping them provide that service to others um but that's definitely a learning that i've taken and it links back to the point of still so early and just being patient with accountants you know and i've channeled that into kind of mayday recharge or thinking about okay so mayday with with recharge as our first product 
you know, how can we start with something that people are doing today that we can pro provide a dramatically better way of doing that in due course will open up opportunities for us to help them to, do, you know, use that for more people, but also deliver further products um, that, that, you know, that enable people to do more um, across the board. But it is that just like being realistic about how many steps people can make from their current yeah. behavior to the desired behavior and starting with as few and close to zero steps as possible. I love that. I'd never thought of it that way. That's such a such a smart way. Of, and that's probably the reason why some of those small, simple products have worked. Love that. Kirsty, sorry, back over to you. I yeah, I, I was just I was just going to add in that um, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said behavioral change takes time and it does. It really does take time. But that is what we are doing. And we are seeing the most successful firms have nailed that because they're the ones that we see. Of not just with the capitalized product, but with the whole way that they run their business as an accountancy practice, they have they've shifted that mindset into what an accountant does, what an advisor does. Because when you and I train, David, and, and you especially in Deloitte, the vast majority of your work will have been audit, I assume. And it, and that mine was because I'm older as well. But you know, every company, every limited company had an audit back in the day. And that of course isn't the case now. And they, you know, we're up at 10 million plus turnover. So accounts prep is a different product to audit and yet the the leaders running the larger firms will have also grown up if you like you know in the audit world so it's a real shift for them to recognize how much more they can do when they're not auditors and with all this new tech at their fingertips the data is so much easier more easily accessible and able to be interrogated and provide quicker solutions to clients that they may not even know they need but the successful firms realize that this is such great value that they can give those clients. And it is going into a completely different space from accountant through to the advisor. And, you know, God, we could go on about that all day, couldn't we? Let's move on in your career. So you've you've since those days, you've you've been on this journey of being consultant to a portfolio of of different businesses, which you must get a real buzz out of all the variety but what is it now that's driving you? You've touched on May Day, but what is it that's, that's driving you and what is it you really want to achieve next in your career? Sure. So, I mean, I um, so I left Chaser back in July 2020 and wasn't wasn't too sure what I was going to um, do at that point. And, and my wife and I were expecting our third child, um, Alice, who was um, born uh, five months later in December. And uh, my wife Jess and I sort of had a conversation when, um, where, you know, around the sort of time of leaving Chaser, and we agreed that there was there was only room in the house for one new baby at a, at a time. So the next startup baby uh, would need to wait until at least the, the second half of um, of twenty twenty one. And so, yeah, you know, I, I kind of just sort of flung up on LinkedIn about being available for consulting work. And it was great, you know, it just sort of organically took hold from there, which was fantastic because it meant I didn't have to go out and, you know, look for a job or look for anything um, else to do, um, you know, alongside doing a few personal projects. So it just, it sort of organically grew from there. And it's been, it's been great. And, and you're absolutely right. I've really enjoyed it. 
And I've been able to channel that now into this, this coaching program I run called Partnering Accountants Amplification um, with, a, with a small number of, of kind of tech businesses looking to go through accountants as a, um, as a channel to market, which I'm spending uh, 20% of my time on now alongside growing Mayday so that I can, you know, sort of cover covering living costs, enable me to, um, you know, still work with a, a range of exciting businesses alongside getting, getting Mayday off the ground. Um, and so, yeah, Mayday, my, my next um, venture, which is which is launching imminently um so yeah I, I sort of took my time to to think about problem spaces that i was really really sort of inspired by um to you know to hopefully or being well be fortunate enough to have this next sort of 10 plus years of my life um you know spending kind of addressing and lo and behold i never would have believed this when i was going you know just embarking on this process um of sort of researching problem spaces and I, I sort of documented this fully. Phil mentioned my, my blog starting up again, um, which you can find links to on my on my LinkedIn profile. And, and please do anyone feel free to, to connect with me on there. Um, I sort of documented the journey I went through from sort of deciding to start another startup and and kind of landing on the particular problem space. And, and when I was going through, you know, the process of that researching, like never would have believed in a million years that the problem space I'd ended up, you know, being really inspired by was lo and behold right where I started my career and you know the future of of kind of professional services um but but it was and you know the more I got into it the more I sort of came to see how I, I was trying to think about it from the perspective of well what will what will my grandchildren think you know that we used to do in the same way as you know my kids when we will tell them that people used to watch like black and white television and just you know terrestrial tv with four channels and you have to sit through adverts and wait for the you know wait for the program you wanted to come on they'll think that's absolutely bonkers you know what will what will my grandkids think is absolutely bonkers about the way that we do things um today and and i came to kind of you know look at professional services look at expert knowledge and, and yes i think you know there's been you know, really, really exciting change off the advent uh, of the back of the advent of, of kind of, you know, cloud technology and applied to the profession. But actually, I think we're barely touching the surface in terms of the, the structural changes that we will see um, over the, the kind of, you know, the coming decades. And I, I tried to think about it from the perspective of, you know, if an asteroid hit the earth and wiped out the entire infrastructure of today's professional services industry, accounting, tax law, consulting, corporate finance, but it left all of the people intact and their intellectual capital. It was just the infrastructure which was needed to be rebuilt from a blank canvas. What would what would get rebuilt and, and why? And if I apply that question to, to kind of expert knowledge and professional services, as opposed to, you know, like taxis or like ready to consume food, like meal delivery. In the latter two cases, everyone does things differently with the benefit of hindsight. But I don't think what would be built look that different to Uber or that different to Deliveroo. Whereas I think when you apply it to professional services, it looks unrecognizably um, kind of different. And so that's where I, you know, I just got really, really exhilarated with um, what I came to see. It was it was Michael Wood, one of the co-founders who've um, uh, uh, of you know formerly Receipt Bank Dext, who kind of challenged me on, well, you know, is the future of professional services really that inspiring as a mission? And he was spot on. Um, so, you know, I kind of came to see it as the emancipation of expert knowledge is is the mission that I'm really kind of passionate about. And yeah, just how kind of different that 
that way of delivering kind of expert knowledge could and should be. I'm really long on humans in terms of, you know, the, the role that they'll have in expert knowledge, but I'm really, really short on the, the kind of, you know, particularly at the bigger end, um, you know, the, the kind of organizational model, model of these huge long, monolithic um, professional services firms, which I think are just a legacy of the industrial revolution, supersized for, for globalization. I don't think, you know, the value proposition predicated as they are, on charging for people's time is, you know, is ultimately sustainable um, kind of long run. Not, not in a world where, you know, the technology that underpins online dating, you know, can kind of match people, you know, why, like, there's no need for that. You know, there's no need for these huge monolithic organizations where that technology exists. I think the future in terms of organization model is, is much more about kind of micro squads and, and teams. Um, I'm really long on wisdom and judgment, but I'm, you know, I'm short on charging for knowledge. I remember, so I, I did a bunch of audit work, but also tax work at Deloitte. I was focused on their sort of entrepreneurial business clients. And, you know, the days of charging someone 500 pounds for basically telling them what a tax treaty said, you know, I, I think there's probably still more of that going on than there should be. But those those days are well and truly numbered. Um, you know, it's the wisdom, the judgment, it's the how to apply that knowledge, that, that that's the, the kind of, you know, the rich um, sort of human capacity that's there. And, you know, when I really step all the way back from it, like expert knowledge, I think, you know, it should have the proper, a lot of the properties of insurance, you know, so transfer pricing where we're starting as an area of expert knowledge. And this is back to the point of what my grandchildren think is completely nuts, that you used to go to a professional services firm, you used to spend 15, 20 grand with them for them to give you some advice about what your transfer pricing policy should be. You'd go away and implement that. And if that advice were wrong in any way, and you ended up getting like, you know, fined and had to pay extra tax to the tax authorities, that would be on you. You wouldn't, you know, because people have their liability caps and their T's and C's. So, you know, that's ridiculous to me that you go and pay that. You as a business who has no interest in kind of getting a report as a, you know, as a thing in itself, you don't derive value from that. What you really want is the peace of mind. Um, you know, what I think the future will look like is, you know, it's much more of a kind of an insurance premium when it comes to expert knowledge that, yeah, I pay and I get this kind of in a transfer pricing sense policy that I implement. But I also get the peace of mind that the provider stands behind it. And in the event that I have any additional costs of dealing, you know, with today, what we call an inquiry, and in the event that I have to pay any more tax, you know, they're insuring me against that. That's what I, you know, in substance, that's what I think the future will look like and our grandkids will come back to you know my grandkids will come back to look at today and say well you had it seriously rough that you were just <laughs> paying over all this money and ultimately you got you know you, you got this kind of um you got this arcane body of like words and numbers um but then you didn't get actually any surety in respect of that I love how smart your grandkids are going to be. That's the uh, one. It's just how smart your grandkids are going to be. So, David, look, I mean, fantastic. Such detail, in, as always, uh, from you. And, um, you know, I always uh, I, I feel a bit sorry for Sophie. He's going to have to go through and pick out a couple of uh, prime quotes to put onto the social media after this, right? Like, you've made it a hard job, which is a good thing. So one question we always ask um, on every episode of Future Positive Podcast, and it's a simple one. It's an easy one. Um, just want to know what excites you about the future. Oh, that's a great question. Um, so, yeah, let me bring it back to the emancipation of expert knowledge that, you know, it's like a Bezos quote, right? It's always it's always day one. And I think that, you know, that's so 
truly can be applied to um, you know expert knowledge and, and professional services today and, and the opportunities that there can and will be for you know there's all this like intellectual capital you know people are really like learned you know and really diligent as professionals but they don't get to create any intellectual property um, and I think you know and, and that's kind of our mission with Mayday when we talk about the emancipation of expert knowledge that's two there's two sides of that there's the emancipation as far as you know the consumers are expert knowledge are concerned that they can access it in a much more valuable and accessible way but that also that the providers of, of expertise can can build intellectual property in a way that um that they can't today you know i think the future of expert knowledge you know i think a future human extra a future tax like you know tax expert and whatever looks a hell of a lot more like a kind of youtuber today than they do you know a you today's youtuber than they do um a, a kind of you know a, a like a professional within a big um kind of big four professional services firm and that sounds like crazy given how different those two things are and clearly it's going to be a journey on that path but that's that's what excites and expire, inspires me just how much of and you know it's a testament to like how like fundamentally broken and outdated I think today's system is that there's just incredible win-win opportunities for both the consumer of expert knowledge and the providers that could be delivered within a, a kind of a different um, organizational structure. Perfect. I mean, wow. I mean, that's a, that's definitely a, a vision. I love that. So look, uh, David, it's been great to talk to you today. Um, obviously, uh, you are uh, no doubt will be uh, around at the various uh, events that are coming up in the next couple of months. But um, in the meantime, where can people find out a little bit more, a little bit about, I'll get my teeth in today. Don't know what's wrong with me today. Where can people find out a little bit more about you and Mayday? Amazing. So three places. You know, connect with me on on LinkedIn, David Tuck. Um, there's the link on my profile, but also um, it's starting up again on Substack. Is is my blog? There's weekly posts there documenting the the kind of journey of, of building Mayday. And then finally, um, head over to www.getmayday.com. Perfect. Uh, thanks very much. So for those of you new to Capitalize, our vision is to give small businesses and their advisors transparency and control over business finance. We want every small business to identify the risks they may face, explore how they stand from a credit perspective and choose the right funding that best fits their business. Um, for those of you uh, that have enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to tune in every Friday on the same podcast feed for our new weekly show, uh, Friday Breakfast with Phil and Kirsty, our bite-sized wrap-up of the key stories for accountants and business advisors in the news that week. Um, and it's getting harder and harder to wrap up those bite-sized bits of news into a few minutes because there's so much going on in the world. Uh, for those of you that don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, uh, on Spotify, Amazon Music, and all good podcast platforms. And for more about Future Positive Podcast and Capitalize, check out capitalize.com. Thanks again. Thank you, Kirsty. Thank you, David, as always. And we will be uh, we will see you on Friday. So thanks for listening and see you Friday. Bye-bye.